Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, January 6th. I am Aranza Luisaga, and these are today's headlines. Rival factions in Iran now united in anger against the United States after President Trump ordered a strike against General Qasem Soleimani. Here in the U.S., backlash growing to the president's decision. Congressional leaders denouncing what they call a reckless move that will put Americans at risk. And an American family returning home after a holiday visit to Mexico came under attack just south of Texas, with armed gunmen killing a 13-year-old and wounding three others. Hello and welcome to You News for Monday, January 6th. I am Aranza Luisaga. Thank you for joining us. Tensions between Iran and the U.S. growing by the hour after President Trump ordered the assassination of General Qasem Soleimani. In Iran, people taking to the streets to mourn the man many regarded as the second most powerful in the country, as thousands call for jihad. Meanwhile, leaders in neighboring Iraq, the side of the attack, voting to expel all American troops. Lorraine Cassidy has the very latest. In Iran, an enormous sea of people bidding farewell to a beloved man. Made a big Trump mistake. made a big mistake. He killed, he killed our, our hero. hero. General Qasem Soleimani's coffin escorted to Tehran's Asadi Tower and then moving on to a multi-city ceremony. The Supreme Leader weeping and praying in front of his casket. His daughter saying, families of the American soldiers in Western Asia have witnessed America's humiliation in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Afghanistan, Yemen and Palestine wars and will spend their days waiting for the death of their children. People vowing revenge, calling for jihad. We will have very hard revenge for Mr. Trump. Members of the Iranian parliament chanting death to America and a red flag symbolizing a declaration of war raised above an Iranian mosque on Saturday. On Sunday, Soleimani's replacement promising to take action against the U.S. in the name of God. We promise to continue down Martyr Soleimani's path as firmly as before with the help of God and in return for his martyrdom, we aimed at getting rid of America from the region in several steps, and we will continue our path towards a global rule by our imam of the time peace upon him. Meanwhile, also on Sunday, Iraqi lawmakers approved a resolution asking the Iraqi government to end the agreement under which Washington sent forces to Iraq more than four years ago to help in the fight against the Islamic State group. A pullout of the estimated 5,200 U.S. troops could cripple the fight against ISIS and allow its resurgence. Darin Cáceres, U News. The Iranian government has announced that it is suspending commitments to the 2050 nuclear deal, abandoning limits on enriching uranium and stockpiling nuclear fuel as well. And as tensions continue to rise, the Pentagon is sending thousands of additional troops to the Middle East. About 2,800 soldiers left Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Saturday. Officials say they'll first head to Kuwait, where military leaders will then decide where they are needed. Nearly 3,500 U.S. service members have been sent to the Middle East this week. 
There are several other developments from our nation's capital. Tiffany Roberts is monitoring the latest from our studio. Tiffany. Thank you, Aranza. Basically, the Speaker Nancy Pelosi says sometime this week, the House of Representatives will vote on a war powers resolution, a move that would limit the president's military actions regarding Iran. Pelosi says Congresswoman Elissa Slotkin of Michigan will lead the resolution. This resolution will be similar to the war powers authorization filed in the Senate by Virginia Senator Tim Kaine. This comes after a tweet from the president Sunday appearing to notify Congress of potential military action if Iran attacks. The president tweeting, quote, these media posts will serve as notification that should Iran strike any U.S. person or target, the U.S. will quickly and fully strike back. The message went on to say that the military response may be in a disproportionate manner. The tweet concludes with, quote, such legal notice is not required, but is given nonetheless, unquote. Now, just something to note, legally, U.S. military strikes must be proportional. The House Foreign Affairs Committee pushed back on the president tweeting, quote, this media post will serve as a reminder that war powers reside in the Congress under the United States Constitution and that should read the War Powers Act and that you're not a dictator. Meantime, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is defending President Trump's threats. Pompeo says the U.S. is just executing a strategy to convince Iran to behave like a normal nation. U.S. officials, meanwhile, are meeting with their Iraqi counterparts this week in Washington. And one on another interesting development, the chief of staff to the Secretary of Defense is resigning at the end of the month. Apparently, the resignation was expected, but it comes at what is obviously a difficult time for the Pentagon, Aranza. Former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton said today that he is prepared to testify if he is subpoenaed by the Senate in its impeachment trial. Bolton, who left the White House in September, said that he has weighted the issues of executive privilege and that after careful consideration and study, decided that he would comply with the Senate subpoena. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has publicly expressed resistance to calling new witnesses in the trial, though Democrats are pressing to hear from Bolton and others who did not appear before the House's inquiry in the upcoming proceedings. Now, Senator Lindsey Graham said he would work with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to challenge the rules of the Senate to begin the impeachment trial as President Donald Trump if the House continues withholding the articles of impeachment. The South Carolina senator accused Speaker Nancy Pelosi of a political stunt meant to extort a trial to her liking, end quote. And Senator Josh Hawley, a freshman and former state attorney general, who also is a 2024 presidential prospect, Today, we'll file his plan to allow dismissal of the articles of impeachment if House Democrats withhold them from the Senate. Senator Hawley's resolution would amend the Senate's impeachment rules to protect the Senate's sole power to try impeachment. Now to the latest on the devastating fires in Australia. Three wildfires have now combined to form a single blaze bigger than Manhattan. 
Meanwhile, the death toll is rising as conditions worsen. Australia's Prime Minister says 23 people have been killed nationwide, up from the previous count at 18. Three fires joined together overnight in the Omeo region of Australia, creating a single wildfire covering 23 square miles. That's bigger than Manhattan. But that's just one fire. There are over 200 fires burning in Australia. When you add them all up, the area burned is around 23,000 square miles, 14.6 million acres. That's the equivalent to the states of New Jersey, Maryland and Delaware combined. The Australian Navy helping thousands to evacuate from Alacuda, Victoria, mobilizing its largest Navy ship to evacuate people along the southeast coastline. Look, I'm feeling a bit relieved, to be honest, to get off that beach. Get out of the smoke, actually. One evacuee described just how bad it was in a smoke-filled area. It's two in the afternoon, and this is what we're in. We're going to be hanging out inside and waiting for the next air evac. This picture of a firefighter giving water to a kangaroo, giving a glimpse into the impact the fires have had on wildlife. Firefighters from the U.S. are aiding in the fight. Looking forward to the opportunity to reciprocate to our Australian brothers and sisters the same assistance they've given us for many years that they've come over here and helped us. Victoria has declared a state of disaster and New South Wales has declared a state of emergency, both granting extraordinary powers and additional government resources to battle the fires. And turning to the border, an American family returning to the U.S. after a holiday visit to Mexico came under attack this weekend. It happened just south of Texas on Saturday night. Armed gunmen killed a 13-year-old and wounded three other people. Pedro Rojas joins me from Roma, Texas. Pedro, what happened? Aranzas, you said that this family was planning on coming back into the U.S. through this bridge, the bridge that connects Roma, Texas, with Miguel Alemán, Tamaulipas, and unfortunately that was not the case. They were traveling over here, according to Mexican authorities, in the hours of the night of Saturday. Uh, apparently a group of armed men uh, are trying to stop them. They pursued them and they crashed into them. And that's when the whole thing went down. Now, let's go back and read a little bit about what the state of Tamaulipas has put out in a, in a press release. They said the victims were traveling in an SUV with Oklahoma license plates. They were accompanied by another vehicle, also with U.S. license plates, driven by a relative who wasn't injured. Uh, when the perpetrators aboard another vehicle tried to stop them, when the victims refused to, they were chased and crashed into in order to force them to stop. The perpetrators then shot at the victims and ran away in another SUV. According to the Mexican authorities, the victims are the following. Uh, the young man that died is a 13-year-old named Oscar Simei Lopez Castillo and his parents, Rafael Castillo Silva, 48 years old, Juanita Castillo Silva, 41 years of age, and Abdiel, a younger brother. Now, we know that at least one of these relatives is in the ICU at a hospital now in Monterrey. The other one is also in critical condition and one is stable. Both states, the state of Nuevo León and Tamaulipas, are now investigating this case. It's still, we don't know which group was in the one that is behind this attack, but what we know so far is that, unfortunately, an American citizen, a young 13-year-old Hispanic male, was killed in this incident, Aranza. So far, the authorities are just keeping a tight lip in regards to the investigation, and their families are under care at a hospital in Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico. Aranza. Pedro, thank you very much, and we'll be keeping a close eye into the developments of the story. Another migrant has died in U.S. custody of U.S. immigration authorities, this time a 40-year-old Angolan-French immigrant. 
Migrant advocates remain concerned after multiple deaths at detention centers were revealed back in 2019. Dulce Castellanos has a story. Another immigrant has died while in custody of immigration authorities. On January 1st, ICE announced the death of 40-year-old Samuelino Gavinga, an immigrant from Angola and French citizen who had been at a detention center in New Mexico. El 2020, desgraciadamente, lo estamos empezando con lo mismo. Unfortunately, we are starting 2020 with the same issues. Immigration authorities do not have the capability to render medical aid for immigrants, said this activist. His death was revealed around the same time Customs and Border Patrol released a medical directive to mitigate health risks at detention centers, which was finalized a year later after reports of immigrants dying in their custody. Los agentes fronterizos que no tienen ningún entrenamiento médico van a decidir. Border agents with no medical training will decide which persons need medical aid, said this doctor. But the directive is being criticized by healthcare professionals for being basic and lacking details. As much goodwill as a person may have if they do not have the right medical training, how will they determine the health needs, he said. The agency will use three phases to identify possible medical problems. Agents will observe and identify possible medical issues. Health interviews will be conducted for all persons under 18 years old. A medical assessment will be conducted for all children under 12 years old. In Los Angeles, Dulce Castellanos, U News. So it's a new year for many migrants in the United States, and the story is the same. U.S. immigration authorities are sticking by their stated policy of sending asylum seekers back to Mexico to wait on their court dates. And as Michelle Jurado explains, the policy seems to be working as many are giving up hope. It's been more than 24 hours since U.S. Border Patrol turned away a second group of families requesting asylum. Now already in Mexico territory, they are speaking out and describing how their short stay in the United States was not very pleasant. It's not fair how they treat us. We have dignity. We are human beings. Despite being rejected by Border Patrol, some of these asylum seekers say they won't give up and will travel to Ciudad Juarez to wait for their appointments with U.S. immigration judges. First, I will look for a job that will let me leave a day early so I can be at the court on time. This Ecuadorian woman is three months pregnant. She crossed through Ciudad Juarez to get to El Paso, Texas, but was turned away. She tried to cross again and was arrested by U.S. Border Patrol agents. Now she prefers to return to her country. I'm going back to Ecuador because I'm so afraid they're going to put us in jail. The United States is using a strategy to make all these people give up. Representatives of migrant shelters say that Border Patrol is only sending them families and that they are not prepared because they are still working on older cases. Every day we are receiving between 250 and 300 migrants. What we do is we keep them safe. Michelle Jurado, U News. In Venezuela, the National Assembly, summoned by its president Juan Guaido, voted to ratify Guaido as the head of Congress. This in defiance of the so-called parliamentary coup that Nicolás Maduro's regime carried out hours earlier. It's just the latest in the ongoing tensions between Maduro and the opposition. Jorge Hernández brings us the latest. 
a national assembly with two presidents. This is the new political reality in Venezuela. It is the outcome of two parliamentary votes this Sunday. In one, Juan Guaido was ratified as president of the legislative branch with 100 votes. And the other one, voted on earlier, declared a Chavismo victory with a still unknown number of votes. Its leader, Congressman Luis Barra, was expelled for corruption from the opposition party, Primero Justicia. What a day, but how did this happen? The responsibility lies with the Chavismo proponents who, with the force of the military, blocked the entry of opposition members into the National Assembly. Its president, Juan Guaido, even tried to jump over the fence of the legislative palace, but was repelled by the National Guard. Guaido ended up with a torn suit. While the opposition was fighting outside Congress trying to access the building, the ruling minority party took control of the session, naming Parra as the new assembly president. Congressman Guaido was supposed to be here by 11, but didn't show up, even by noon or 1.30. And he didn't want to come because he didn't have enough votes. Guaido reacted quickly and called for a new national assembly session elsewhere, where the opposition parliamentary majority stood up. The dictatorship run over Congress, deputies disappear, violate immunity without excuses. The situation gives the regime a basis to ignore Guaido, even though many say the vote was illegal. The vote could even result in Guaido's removal from the National Assembly's leadership. In Caracas, Venezuela, reported by Francisco Restieta, this is Jorge Hernandez, Unius. More of Unius after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. So take a listen. Mercedes is now recalling around 750,000 vehicles in danger of losing their sunroofs. The recall affects the C-Class, E-Class, CLK-Class, and CLS-Class made between 2001 and 2011. The company says sunroofs in those cars are at risk of flying off if the material around it deteriorates. And a major consumer alert abbreviating the year 2020 to just 20 may be a time saver, but it could also be a costly mistake. A Facebook post from the East Millinocket Police Department in Maine warns that doing so could open the doors to fraud. Officials say dating documents or checks with just 20 makes it easy for scammers to change the date. For example, let me explain to you. Someone could alter your 20 to say 2019 and then claim you're late on payments or not meeting an obligation. Officials advise writing out the full year 2020. And in food news, for the first time in its 60 year in business, Today, Little Caesars Pizza is going to start delivering. That's thanks to a new deal between the country's third largest pizza chain and delivery service DoorDash. DoorDash has similar deals with Chipotle Mexican Grill, Burger King, and also Denny's. 
And chocolate lovers, myself, we have to listen to this. The cost of our favorite sweet treat could be going up. The West African countries of Ghana and the Ivory Coast, which export more than 60% of the world's cocoa, are now combining to create their own chocolate cartel. And they've immediately upped the price on exports by $400 a metric ton. So prepare to pay more for your chocolate. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. Thank you.